Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast with Pastor John of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org and please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. 17, I like to have a key verse, sometimes two, but it's verse 5 for us tonight in number 17. This is a key, and it shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. Thus I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel, which they make against me. So God sets up a test here in number 17 because of the rebellion. Last week we talked about this in number 16. There was the rebellion of Korah. God dealt with that rebellion. 250 plus people died because of that rebellion. The very next day, a bunch of other people in Israel rebelled against the Lord. And God had a plague go out in the camp of Israel and Moses told Aaron to take a censer to take some coal from the altar and incense and stand between the plague and the people. And God stopped the plague, but not before number 16, verse 49, 14,700 died besides the rebellion of Korah. So one side of this, we're looking at the generation who had disobeyed the command of God to go into the promised land. So God said, over the next 40 years, you guys are going to die in the wilderness. Some of them will die quicker than others. We, in chapter 16, learned of over uh, 14,000, almost 15,000, who took the quicker method of dying in the wilderness rather than going through the whole 40 years. I'll repeat this often as we go through the book of Numbers, but there was a period of the wilderness that God intended for the children of Israel. The wilderness experience for Israel was proper as long as they were walking in obedience to the Lord. But there was a season when that came to an end after they received the law there at Mount Sinai, after they had built and erected the tabernacle after God had caused them to move out and brought them to Kadesh Barnea, where they sent in the 12 spies, and 10 of those spies convinced the people that they would not be able to successfully take the land, and they rebelled against the Lord there. So this, the first generation who came out of Egypt, except for Joshua and Caleb, Even Moses wouldn't enter into the promised land, except for Joshua and Caleb. That first generation that came out of Egypt would not enter into the promised land. And so we can kind of understand their rebellious spirit in a sense. But then on the other side of that, I don't understand it at all because they should be then, if I can't go, I want to prepare my kids because God said they're going to go. So as parents, they should be wanting to do everything that they can do to prepare that next generation to enter into the promised land. Bad analogy, but the Terminator came into my mind 
And what was mom's mission but to prepare her son for the coming apocalypse of computers to make sure that he would be able to fend them off and know what he ought to do. Shouldn't that be our goal, our mission as Christians and believers in Jesus Christ to help prepare that next generation to know what they ought to do? So though the rebellion of Korah and the people had died, it fueled this attitude of rebellion that was still at play when we come into chapter 17. Korah had challenged Moses and Aaron saying, Number 16.3, you take too much upon yourself for all the congregation is holy, every one of them. The Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? And in the test of chapter 16, 250 rebellious men failed when God did not receive them, but fire came out from the Lord and consumed them. God severely judged them when he told the 250 to bring their censers before the tabernacle of the Lord. And Aaron was there with his censer as well. So God had already given a sign by the rejection of the 250 plus Korah and those who led that rebellion with him. And they took the censers that had been burned up, recovered them from the fire, pounded them out, and laid them, overlaid them on the gold altar in the holy place of the temple. And so that was to be a sign for the people that Aaron was the appointed priesthood and his descendants after him. But it wasn't finished yet. So chapter 17, God kind of saying, all right, I'm going to settle this once and for all. Have the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel plus Aaron come and Bring your rod, signature rods, like an autograph bat or hockey stick by the pros, autograph football. They had their rods and they had to autograph them. And they were going to sit before the altar of the Lord and God would prove who he had anointed. And so we read in verses 1 through 7, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel, get up from them a rod of each of their father's house. All the leaders, according to the father's houses, 12 rods, write each man's name on his rod. And you shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi. Okay, I had to pause there for a moment. So there's 12 tribes. There's actually 13 tribes at play here. And so that rod of Levi, the 13th tribe, although you never talk about the 13th tribe because God claims Levi for himself. I had to get that right in my head for a moment. So 13 rods at play. Verse 3, we'll pick up again. And you shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi, for there shall be one rod for the head of each of the father's house. Then you shall place them in the tabernacle of meeting before the testimony where I will meet with you. And it shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. Thus I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel and they which they make against me. So Moses spoke to the children of Israel. Each of their leaders gave him a rod apiece for each leader, according to their father's house, 12 rods. And the rod of Aaron was among their rods. 
And Moses placed the rods before the Lord at the tabernacle of witness. So God proposed this once and for all test that would reveal from which tribe he had appointed the priesthood. Now, we need to understand that they had been accustomed since the days of Abraham for either the head of the household or the firstborn in the household to be the priest of the family. But God had changed all that. No longer would everyone uh, be of the priestly line. That's what God had intended initially, but they had rebelled against him. So he chose the tribe of Levi. He chose Aaron from the tribe of Levi and his descendants to minister before the tabernacle of the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. So one of the 13 rods that blossomed would prove that they were the family line from which the priesthood belonged. So in verse 5, the Lord said that he would once and for all rid himself of the complaints of the children of Israel against Moses and Aaron. So he just wanted it to be done. Colossians 3.13 tells us, as the church today, to bearing, that we are to bear with one another, we're to forgive one another, lest anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must do. So complaints will come. Complaints will come in ministries, whether we're talking about Old Testament days or talking about the New Testament period that we read about in uh, the book of Acts or the epistles, but the church today. Complaints will come. But we are to, as the body of Christ, bear along with one another, forgive one another, and to have a forgiving spirit. But it doesn't mean that we don't deal with issues. Yes, we forgive, but things need to be dealt with. And this, in the context of our passage, is something that God said, this has to be dealt with once and for all. 8 through 11, now it came to pass on the next day, Moses went into the tabernacle of witness. So the rods stayed there in the tabernacle all night. And behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted, put forth buds, had produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds all in one night. Then Moses brought out the rods from before the Lord and all the children of Israel, and they looked, and each man took his rod. And the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony to keep it as a sign against the rebels, that you may put their complaints away from me, lest they die. And thus did Moses, just as the Lord commanded him, so he did. So Aaron's rod, a dead stick, that's what we're talking about. No matter the length of the rod itself, it was dead. It had been detached from its root long ago. It had been dried and shaped and formed into a rod that he no doubt used as a shepherd, but had become the rod of God. Aaron's rod, now it had budded, blossomed, and produced ripened fruits all in the matter of a night. And it appears to me that the reason Moses was to keep the rod before the testimony of the Lord is that as long as it stayed in the presence of God, it would remain in that quickened life position. Because why would it matter if 
it was only a one-time thing and there was another rebellion and Moses said, do you want me to go get Aaron's rod? And he brought out a stick that didn't have buds or blossoms or ripe almonds on it. It had to be a proof, a proof of future rebellion. But also the blossoms themselves, it reminded me of the menorah. So the rod budded and brought forth fruit, almonds, ripened almonds. Well, the menorah itself in Exodus 37, 19 through 21, tells us that the bowls of the menorah, and I'm not going to go through all these words. We've studied this before, Exodus 37, 19 through 21. The bowls that would hold the oil for the lamp, which was the menorah, there in the holy place, they were made like almond blossoms. So there was a connection also to the tabernacle itself and the menorah who had the seven lamps and the bowls of the seven lamps were made like almond blossoms. And thus Aaron's rod now not just having almond blossoms, but it budded, blossomed, and the fruit associated with it. Hebrews 9, verses 2 through 4, the author of Hebrews says, For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part, in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, so the holy place, we might call it today, and then the second part behind the veil, which is called the holiest of all, or we might say the holy of holies, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all four sides with gold, in which was the golden pot that had manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. So there's a point later on in the Old Testament where the Ark of the Covenant only has the Ten Commandments in it, but when the author of Hebrews is writing, he refers to a time when it had the pot of manna that they were to save from the wilderness days, Aaron's rod that budded, along with the Ten Commandments. So the people, they're freaking out now. In verse 12 and 13, the children of Israel spoke to Moses saying, Surely we die, we perish, we all perish. And Moses said, yeah, for over the next 40 years, that's what's going to happen to you, but it's not going to happen today. He didn't say it that way, but verse 13, I'll read the scripture. They did say, surely we die, we perish, we all perish. Whoever comes near the tabernacle of the Lord must die. Surely we all utterly die. So there was a proper way for the children of Israel to worship the Lord. They were trying to worship God in an unprescribed manner, just as Nahab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, who brought profane fire before the Lord. They were priests, anointed as priests, but they attempted to worship God in an unspecified manner, and God took their lives. Because of this, the rebellion of Korah was the same thing. They were trying to take a position, a place in Israel that was not theirs to take. And so the people feared for their lives because of the rebellion against God's chosen leaders, yet no harm would come to them if they remained, remained obedient to the Lord's command. All they had to do is approach God in the appointed way that meant that they had to come through the priesthood 
And the priesthood was from Aaron and his descendants, those whom God had appointed. And then judgment would not come upon them. And in like manner, God has appointed a way for us today through his son, Jesus Christ. He is the one who has made atonement for all who put their trust in him. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23 says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man death came, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. So by man death came, by man Adam death came because of the fall. But also by man Christ came the resurrection of the dead. Verse 22, 1 Corinthians 15. For as in Adam all died, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. So Aaron's rod reminds us that only through the Lord can one find true life by following God's appointed high priest, Jesus Christ, who is the first fruits of those who are being saved. Chapter 18. So the tithe. Now he's dealing something else for us. And we'll get to Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is called the second law because Moses is going to repeat a lot of what we've already studied in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers in the book of Deuteronomy because he's preparing the kids. He's preparing the second generation to enter into the promised land. But he's doing that right now because God has already judged the first generation and said, you're not going. You're going to die in the wilderness for every day that the spies were in the promised land, 40 days. I'm adding up one year in 40 years. Your remains are going to be here in the wilderness. You will not enter in to the promised land. So the Lord is actually preparing the next generation even now. And he's helping them to know how they ought to conduct themselves, how they should worship in the tribe of Levite and the priestly line in Numbers 18, mostly talking about them. Verse 20 is key for me. It says, You shall have no inheritance in the land, nor shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance, your inheritance among the children of Israel. So God talking to Aaron and to the tribe of Levi that God is their portion. So chapter 18, the Lord continues to solidify the Arianic priesthood before the children of Israel. And the people, they were crying out at the end of chapter 17. Surely we die, we perish, we all perish. And since the time of Abraham, the head of the household or the firstborn male of each of the family acted as the priest for their families. But all that has changed now. And it would only be through the descendants of Aaron, Aaron and his descendants, that they were to, chapter 18, verse 1, you and your sons and your father's house shall bear the iniquity related to the sanctuary. You and your sons with you shall bear the iniquity associated with your priesthood. Jump down to verse 5. And you shall attend to the duties of the sanctuary, the duties of the altar, that there will be no wrath on the children of Israel. 
So this meant that no one else but Aaron and his sons, his descendants, could approach the altar of the Lord. The holy place and the high priest could was the only one once a year who was allowed to enter into the holy of holies, that there be no more wrath on the children of Israel. So the people were right to fear God. But no wrath would come upon them if they followed God's appointed system of worship at the tabernacle, later on the temple, that was administered by God's appointed priest. We always get off track when we try to do it our own way or in ways that God has not prescribed. For Aaron and his descendants, they were to bear the iniquity of the sanctuary. And the priesthood meant that they were the only ones responsible. This meant that they were the only ones responsible to attend to the sacrifices, the offerings of the children of Israel there at the tabernacle of the Lord. To fail in their priestly duties meant that wrath would come upon their descendants and the children of Israel as well. So Exodus 28:38. So it shall be on Aaron's forehead that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel hollow in the sight of their holy, all their holy gifts shall always be on his forehead, talking about the uh, holy crown of the high priest, that they may be accepted before the Lord. So that holy crown of the high priest Aaron was to bear the iniquity of the holy things. It was his responsibility and no other in the children of Israel and their tribes. So two through four, also bring with you the brethren of the tribe of Levi and the tribe of your father that they may be joined with you, serve you while you and your sons are with you before the tabernacle of witness. They shall attend to your needs, all the needs of the tabernacle. But they shall not come near the articles of the sanctuary of the altar, lest they die, they and you also. They shall be joined with you to attend to the needs of the tabernacle of meeting for all the work of the tabernacle. But an outsider shall not come near you. So God gave Aaron the whole tribe of Levi. They belong to the tribe of Levi. But all his brethren from the tribe of Levi, they were there to attend to the needs of the priest in serving there at the temple, but they couldn't do the service of the priests. They didn't take the place of the priests. They couldn't offer the sacrifices. They could help. And we read about in the days of Nehemiah when the priests did not cleanse themselves that the um, Levites were actually serving in the capacity of the priests because the priests didn't do their duty. But that was not their responsibility. Their job was to set up, to tear down the tabernacle when they moved, to get wood for the fire, to clean up the flesh of the animals that were offered on the altar, just to name a few of the things. In Numbers 3, verses 9 through 10, the Lord said, And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons, and they shall give entirely to him from among the children of Israel. You shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall attend to their priesthood, But no outsider who comes near, but the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. So this job was for the priests offering sacrifices and offerings, those who assisted the priests, the brethren from the tribe of Levi. So six and seven, 
They were each to serve in their appointed roles. Behold, I myself have taken your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel. They are a gift to you, given by the Lord, to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Therefore, you and your sons with you shall attend to the priesthood for everything at the altar and behind the veil you shall serve. I give your priesthood to you as a gift for service, but the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. So Aaron and his sons, theirs was to attend to the priestly responsibility, everything at the altar and behind the veil. So inside the tabernacle and even outside the tabernacle at the altar of burnt offering. While the Levites were to attend to the tabernacle, the building, the temple, the grounds, assisting the priests in their duties. Numbers 1, verse 53 But the Levites shall camp all around the tabernacle of the testimony, that there be no wrath on the congregation of the children of Israel. The Levites shall keep charge of the tabernacle of the testimony. And so you had the priest who camped to the east side of the tabernacle. The east was the doorway. So the east for us here at the church would be to my left. But the east was the doorway, the entryway. The priest and his descendants camped and Moses camped to the east. But the rest of the tribe of Levi camped to the north, south, and west, and they became this buffer for all the other tribes of the children of Israel. And so they, in a sense, protecting God, who is at the center of the camp, not that God needs any protection, but they became this buffer for the people who would attempt to enter in or come to near the outsider who would be put to death. So 8 through 20, this is a long bit of passage. It talks about tithing here, provision for the priests and the children of Israel. Here, I myself have given you a charge of my heave offering of all the holy gifts that's given to the children of Israel. I have given them as a portion to you and your sons as an ordinance forever. So the heave offering, when they did a heave offering, their hands went up and down, heaving it up to the Lord. When they did a wave offering, they waved it to the left and the right. So just get in your mind, wave offering, do a wave, heave offering up and down. So this is the heave offering. And they do talk about a wave offering connected to this, but I don't think they do in chapter 18. Verse 9. This shall be yours of the most holy things reserved from fire, everything of theirs, every grain offering and every sin offering, every trespass offering which they render to me. It shall be most holy for you and your sons. In the most holy place you shall eat it. Every male shall eat it. It shall be holy to you. So, the offerings that were made by fire, some of them, like the burnt offering, that was wholly consumed on the altar. The priest didn't get any of that. But a peace offering, the worshiper shared in a portion of the offering. A portion of the offering was burned on the altar, and then a portion of the offering went to the priest. If it was offered on the altar, then the priest and his sons could eat of that offering, but only in a holy place, so the temple grounds proper. 
So that's how they were provided for in that sense. But what about the daughters? They couldn't. So let's get to the what about the rest of the family. So verse 10, in the most holy place you shall eat it. Every male of you shall eat it. It shall be most holy. Verse 11, this is also yours. The heave offering of your gift with the wave offering. So both are mentioned here. The heave and wave offering of the children of Israel. I have given them to you and their sons and your daughters with you as an ordinance forever. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it. So the grain offering, the fruit, whatever was the best of the land, verse 12, the best of the oil, the best of the new wine, the grain, the first fruits that were offered to the Lord, I have given them to you. Whatever, verse 13, whatever first ripe fruits is in the land which they bring to the Lord, whether by a heave offering or a wave offering, shall be yours. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it. So these things were given for the provision of the household of the priest, whether male or female, they were allowed to eat these things. And when it says as long as they are clean, that's talking about ceremonially being clean. So they're ceremonially clean and they're able to eat. We we saw um, when we were in Israel and Jerusalem and they have excavated underneath the city to the time of Christ and there was a priest home that we were in, in the ruins underneath the city. Pretty amazing. But they had um, the pool. It was like I was raised in a Baptist church, and we always had a baptistry, you know, and most of the churches I attended. And there was always a baptistry where you could walk in and walk out to be baptized. Now, sometimes my dad's church... You always came in one way and you went out the same way because they were a smaller church and they didn't have a two-way exit, I guess. But um, at other churches, you you came in one side and you were able to walk out the other side. That's how this uh, ceremonial pool that was in this priest's home underneath the ruins of uh, there in Jerusalem. So they excavated this and it was pretty much just this ceremonial washing where they would walk in and walk out. That deemed them, it wasn't taking a bath, it was just a ceremonial washing, that cleansing of the people as long as they are clean. Verse 14, every devoted thing in Israel shall be yours. Everything that first opens the womb of all flesh that they bring to the Lord, whether man or beast, shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn man you shall redeem, and the firstborn of the unclean animals you shall redeem. So they didn't actually turn over unclean animals or baby boys, they redeemed them with a value, as we read here, verse 16, redeem the devoted things, you shall redeem one month old, according to the valuation, five shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, which is 20 geheras, that helps us a lot, I know, but the firstborn cow, the firstborn sheep, the firstborn goat, you shall not redeem, they are holy, you shall sprinkle their blood on the altar and burn their fat as an offering made by fire, a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. And their flesh shall be yours, just as the wave breast and the right thigh are yours. All the heave offerings of the holy things, the children of Israel of the Lord, I have given you and your sons, your daughters, as an ordinance forever. It is a covenant of salt, according or forever, before the Lord, with you and your descendants with you. 
Then the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in the land, nor shall you receive any portion among them. I am your portion. I am your inheritance among the children of Israel. So God gave Aaron and his sons charge over the heave and wave offerings, including the best of all the oil, and the new wine, the grain, the first fruits of the children of Israel. Um, some of these offerings, only the priests were allowed the male descendants of Aaron were allowed to eat of this offering and only on the temple grounds. Others they could bring home and all the family could partake of this. This was their provision and the provision for the priest, for their sons and daughters. So the covenant of salt, it speaks about biblically an unbreakable and lasting covenant. So God said this is a covenant of salt which in the economy of the Old Testament, an unbreakable and lasting covenant to your and your descendants. And finally, Aaron, along with the Levites, they did not receive any inheritance in the promised land because God became their inheritance. So Deuteronomy 18, 1 and 2, the priests and the Levites of all the tribe of Levi shall have no part of the inheritance with Israel They shall eat the offering of the Lord made by fire in his portion. Therefore, they have no inheritance among the brethren. The Lord is their inheritance, as he said to them. So God claimed the tribe of Levi as his own. And as his own, he provided for them in a unique and special way. So the tithe of Israel was to be given to the Levites, verses 21 through 24. Behold, I've given the children of the Levites all the tithes of Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Hereafter, the children of Israel shall not come near the tabernacle of meeting, lest they bear sin and die. But the Levites shall perform the work of the tabernacle of meeting. They shall bear their iniquity. So this was the Levites' job. It shall be a statue forever for all your generations that the children of Israel shall have no inheritance for the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer up as a heave offering to the Lord. I have given to the Levites as an inheritance. Therefore, I have said to them among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. So God's provision for the Levites came from the tithes that came from the 12 tribes of Israel as they tithe to the Lord at the tabernacle of the Lord. The tithe of Israel then went to support the Levites who served Aaron and his sons there at the tabernacle or later on the temple. But the Levites then were to give a tithe. They were to give 10% of what they received to the priest. 25 through 32, the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Speak thus to the Levites, say to them, When you take from the children of Israel the tithes which I have given from you as your inheritance, then you shall offer up a heave offering to the Lord, a tenth of the tithe, and your heave offering shall, and your heave offering shall be reckoned to you as though it was the grain of the threshing floor or the fullness of the winepress. So God is saying to the Levites, you offer a tenth of what you've received, a heave offering to me, the up and down offering, just as if, verse 27, just as if you were the one who harvests the grain or you were the one who 
made the wine in the fullness of the wine press. Verse 28, thus you also shall offer a heave offering to the Lord of all your tithes, which you receive from the children of Israel. You shall give the Lord's heave offering from it to Aaron and the priest of all your gifts that you offer up every heave offering due to the Lord from all the best of them, the consecrated part of them. Therefore, you shall say to them, when you have lifted up the best of it, then the rest shall be accounted to the Levites as the produce of the threshing floor and the produce of the wine press. You shall meet, eat of it in any place, you and your households, for it is your reward for the work of the tabernacle of meeting. You shall bear no sin because of it when you have lifted up the best of it, but you shall not profane the holy gifts of the children of Israel, lest you die. So God's saying, if you don't give a tenth of what you receive, then you're going to be in trouble, lest you die. But if you give a tenth of that, then you're free. And there was no special place for the Levites. The Levites were actually spread out throughout all the land of Israel once they entered into the promised land. God dispersed the tribe of Levi throughout all the nation of Israel that they might be a constant reminder and teachers of the things of God. So the tithe was their reward for the work that they had done. But this was often neglected. And in Nehemiah's time, he spoke about this. And it would even be neglected in Nehemiah's time. But this is how he set it up initially. Nehemiah 10, 35 through 39. We made an ordinance to bring the first fruits of the ground, the first fruits of all the trees, year by year to the house of the Lord, to bring the first fruits of the sons, our cattle, as it was written in the law, the firstborn of the herds and of our flocks, to the house of the Lord, to the priest who ministered to the house of our God, to bring the fruits of our dough and the offering, the fruit from all kinds of tree of new wine and oil, to the priest, to the storerooms of the house of God, to bring the tithe of the land to the Levites. For the Levites should receive the tithe of all the farming communities. And the priest, the descendants of Aaron, shall be with the Levites. And when the Levites receive the tithes, the Levites shall bring up a tenth of the tithes to the house of God, to the rooms of the storehouse for the children of Israel. And for the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the grain, of the new wine, of the oil, to the storerooms where the articles of the sanctuary are, where the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers are. And we will not neglect the house of God. Well, in the days of Nehemiah, he had to go back to do business with the king there with the Medes and the Persians. And they actually did neglect this offering. He had to deal with it again. But this is how they were too kind of keep the community of faith going and provision for the house of God. And I like the thought, though, as we close out this chapter. God said to the tribe of Levi, to Aaron, I am your inheritance. And I like the thought of God and Jesus being our inheritance because the inheritance of man will always fail us, but God will never fail. David understood this. He's saying in Psalm 16, 5, Oh, Lord, you are... The portion of my inheritance, my cup, you maintain my lot. Paul believed this writing in Colossians 3, 23 and 24. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord 
you will receive the reward of your inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Peter also proclaimed this, saying in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to reveal to be revealed at the last time. And is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, have they become your inheritance? So we close out with the law of purifications. Purification singular, sorry. I said it plural. Law of purification. Numbers 19. So verse 9, a key. Then the man shall gather. Let me read it correctly. Then a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and store them outside the camp in a clean place. And they shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for the water of purification. It is for purifying from sin. So the red heifer. A lot, as I said, um, back in September, they were talking a bit about the five red heifers. I think they came from Texas. They got a lot of cattle down there and uh, shipped them over to Israel. It's like, you got your red heifer now. And so here we're going to understand the law of the red heifer. One through ten, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they bring you a red heifer without blemish, in which there is no defect, on which a yoke has never come. You shall give it to Eliezer, the priest, that he may take it outside the camp, and it shall be slaughtered before him. And Eliezer, the priest, shall take some of its blood with his finger. Sprinkle some of the blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. And then the heifer shall be burned in his sight, its hide, its flesh, its blood, its offal shall be burned. And the priest shall take cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet and cast them into the midst of the fire burning the heifer. And then the priest shall wash his clothes. He shall bathe in water and afterwards shall Come into the camp, and the priest shall be unclean until evening. And one who, the one who burns it shall wash his clothes in water and bathe in water. He shall be unclean until evening. Then a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and store them outside the camp in a clean place. They shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for the water of purification. It is for purifying from sin. And one who gathers in ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes, be unclean until evening. So none of this is has to do with sin. They're unclean until evening. It just meant that they came in contact with the dead. So that's why they're unclean until evening. It shall be a statue forever for the children of Israel to the stranger who dwells among them. So the water of purification, a red heifer, would without blemish, that it never bore oak, Oak, a yoke, not an oak. Well, usually the yokes could have been made out of oak, but as long as they didn't have anything on them, they were killed outside of the camp. And the priest, Eliezer in this case, took some of its blood, sprinkled it seven times directly in front of the tabernacle. Afterwards, it was burned up 
While it was burning, cedar, wood, hyssop, and scarlet was cast in the midst of the fire. Once it had burned, another individual, not the one who burned it, but another one would retrieve the ash, keep it outside of the camp, but it was made for the water of purification. So the examples of purification are given to us in verses 11 through 22, and that takes us through the remainder of the chapter. They give us a few of the examples. 11 through 13, coming in contact with the dead. He who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean seven days. He shall purify himself with the water. So this is the water of the purification that has the ash of the red heifer in it. He shall purify himself with water on the third day, on the seventh day, that he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third day and the seventh day, he will not be clean. Whoever touches the body of anyone who has died, does not purify himself, defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. That person shall be cut off from Israel. He shall be unclean because the water of purification was not sprinkled on him. His uncleanness is still on him. So coming in contact with the dead, you have a loved one. It's not sin. It's just death is a result of sin, result of the fall of the garden. And so those who have been in contact with death, which came as a result of sin, were then not to have fellowship at the tabernacle of the Lord, in the camp of the Lord, in that sense. So there was this process of purification. But also for touching a bone, the slain, the dead, or a grave. This is the law, verses 14 through 16. This is the law. When a man dies in his tent, all who come into the tent, all who are in the tent shall be unclean seven days. Every open vessel, which has, we're going to go through verse 22 in this, Every open vessel which has no cover fastened on this is unclean. Whoever is in an open field touches one who is slain by the sword, who has died, or a bone of a man or a grave, shall be unclean seven days. For if an unclean person shall take some of the ash of the heifer burnt for purification from sin, and running water shall be put on them in the vessel, a clean person shall take hyssop, dip it in the water, sprinkle it on the tent, all the vessels, on the person who is there, and on the one who touched the bone, the slain, the dead, the grave. Verse 19, the clean person shall sprinkle the unclean on the third day and on the seventh day. On the seventh day, he shall be purified. He shall purify himself, wash his clothes, bathe in water, and in the evening he shall be clean. So there's this constant process of being this cleanness means being ceremonially clean to worship God. And that's what it's talking about. But they needed the water of purification. Verse 20. But if a man who is unclean does not purify himself, that person shall be cut off from among the assembly because he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. The water of purification has not been sprinkled on him. He is unclean. It shall be a perpetual statute for them. He shall sprinkle... He who sprinkles the water of purification shall wash his clothes. He who touches the water of purification shall be unclean until evening. Whatever the unclean person touches shall be unclean. The person who touches it shall be unclean until evening. So the red heifer. So we've had the red heifer at play already 
in Scripture uh, with Moses. But this is kind of given more detail in it. But also historically, um, rabbinical justification, while they're trying to understand what did God mean by all this? So the rabbis get together and try to figure it out. And they took the Ten Commandments, the laws given to the Lord, by the Lord to the children of Israel. They have expanded them to 613 laws, mostly don'ts. They make it more difficult quite often. So rabbinical justification further complicates the matter, providing that two black or white hairs from a same follicle. Can you imagine this? They're looking at the red heifers. Now they're counting the hairs. God says, we don't know the number of our hair. God knows them, but they're looking through a whole animal to find a white and black hair from the same follicle would disqualify the heifer. One whom the cloth has been laid, so it's even you put a, a towel on it, not a yoke, but even a cloth, it could not be used, thus virtually making it impossible to secure a p- proper animal for this. In fact, Para 3.5 says that since the time of Moses, there's only been nine red heifers that's been found acceptable. So that's pretty, making it pretty difficult. So five red heifers were brought in from the United States last fall to Israel. I'm sure they found something wrong with them and disqualified them. But the article states, the search for the pure red heifer has been in process for a long time. No white hairs, no physical blemish, one that has never been under yoke. The Jews have not had a qualifying bona fide in over 1,900 years. It now appears that they may have five. That was last September. I haven't checked to see if they've qualified one. But it is believed that they need the red heifer in order that when the temple is built, they'll have the water of purification ready to go. Some believe that the cedar wood, the hyssop, and the scarlet prophetically are symbols of the sacrifice of Christ. Some teach that the cross itself was made of cedar wood. Hyssop represents faith in Jesus, and scarlet represents the blood of Christ. We find the same combination of cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet with the cleansing of the leper in Leviticus 14. And I'm not sure. I mean, I I would never state that, yes, the cross must have been made of cedar wood. I can't say that. We don't read that it was. So this is speculation. It's interesting to consider, though. In this chapter, though, it reminded me of the importance of being washed by the water of the word and the blood of Jesus Christ, that we would work and walk. When we work and walk in this world, we get dirty. And so the psalmist asked in Psalm 119.9, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Or John 15.3, the Lord speaking to his disciples saying, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Ephesians 5.26, that he may sanctify and cleanse her by the washing of the water of the word. Or Hebrews 9.13, for if the blood of bulls and goats and of ashes of a heifer 
sprinkling of the unclean sanctifies and purifies the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So how do we get cleansed today? First and foremost is through faith in Jesus Christ. By the blood of Christ we are saved. But second is through the washing of the water of the word. Tonight, through the teaching of your word, Lord, you have been washing us. We've been learning about the purification waters that were made with the ash of the red heifer. How all things were purified through this water to deem people clean. But also, Lord, we know that this was not the only step for Israel to be clean. It was necessary for sacrifices to be made. The shedding of blood was necessary. Then, through the many sacrifices that they offered, now, through the sacrifice of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Tonight, Lord, we learn about gifts and tithing in chapter 18. And also, in chapter 17, about Aaron's rod that budded. Lord, help us be those who desire to come to you in the right way, in the prescribed manner. Today, that means through faith in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we might walk in your ways. When we fall short, when we sin, Lord, cleanse us, wash us anew, afresh, that we might, Lord, be those who would serve you in this land that you have placed us in as the children of God. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Let's study this night. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and stand together. It's coming Sunday. We continue our study in the chronological gospels. Uh, going to be in uh, the gospel of Mark, and we're going to start in the gospel of Mark. Talk about the girl who was near death, who was 12 years old, and a woman who had been sick for 12 years and how Jesus touched and healed them both. And we'll continue on from there into the book of Matthew as we continue to kind of work our way through the Gospels, looking at this week, Mark and Matthew's Gospel uh, we'll get around to John's gospel once again someday. But uh, right now, John's not talking about any of the events that we're currently looking at uh, pretty much in the synoptic gospel. So that's been an interesting study. I don't know if I'll get through this in 2023, if the Lord should tarry. Right now, my notes say um, the gospels, and then I have 2022, and I added a slash 23 on there. Maybe I'll do a 24, depending on how long this takes. But interesting journey. Uh, if you can join us here on Sundays, if you're listening on the radio, if you're watching through social media, uh, we welcome you as well. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.